Hello, and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. I'm uh, Ben Travers, Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And happy Monday as you listen to this. Happy Friday as we record this. Uh, and uh, both Ben and I have, we actually didn't clarify this. Ben, ben and I have watched uh, at this point the second season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I don't know how spoiler we, sh- we should get with today's discussion of that fine show. Um, I'm going to say not that spoilery because um, I know at least a couple of listeners who really love the show and probably didn't finish it as quickly as we did. Your mom? Yep. Also my mom too, probably. Actually, maybe. I think all the moms. Okay. And probably most of the dads. Yeah, most all the moms, most of the dads. Uh, we will try to keep this as spoiler free as possible, which actually I don't think is too impossible given that like there's no, no... I mean, aside from that massive explosion in episode eight, like, I don't think there's anything really big to spoil in the show. It was weird for me that there were 10 episodes. Like, I know you're making a joke, but I, I'm very serious. I thought after eight, it was over and I was very confused. And then it just kept going. I was like, oh, there's more. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good. I mean, it was it was eight last season. So it's not out of character to think that maybe it would be eight again this season. Yeah, I was not uh, I was not paying that close attention to Maisel during the off season uh, in terms of them, you know, getting an extended episode order. Uh, but, you know, it worked out, so. I wonder if it was an actual extended episode order or they just, like, realized they had too much story and they just kind of, like, kind of in a Mr. Robot-esque sort of way, like, just like, oh, that episode that we thought that was one episode is now two episodes. <laughs> I don't think, I don't. I don't think Maisel season two suffered from having too much story. I don't, I don't, I don't think wow. that was a problem. So I'm going to guess that was the order. And they fulfilled it. Well, I mean, this is, of course, like the now Golden Globe nominated for the second year in a row show. Um, Golden Globe nominated comedy. That Golden Globe winner. Just, yeah, Golden Globe winner. That happens to be an hour long, but it's a comedy. Um the Emmy winner as well of this year, uh, and which had a really strong first season, I feel, uh, had, a, I think, a pretty strong second season as well, though I actually really talked much to Ben about it. What do you think of the season as a whole? I thought it was great. Yeah? Yep. Cool. We're done with the podcast now, right? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> that That makes me sad. I just, I just, I mean, I, I, I've literally, I wrote the, I wrote the review off the first five episodes, uh, still thinking there were eight, by the way. Um, <laughs> and then I, I just finished writing a, a lot about the ending. So a lot of my, my thoughts are kind of tied into how the, the series ends right. at this point. But I, I'll say the same thing that I said for like the spoiler free version of the review, which is season two slump in that they didn't focus on creating a brand new arc for the central character or putting the central character through the same arc as as, as uh, they did originally in the first season. Uh, and instead, they kind of purposefully gave a similar arc to uh, another character because this season um, they spend more time outside of just Midge and giving... Uh, some of her family and friends a little bit more of their own identity and own purpose and own goals. Um, a lot of that kind of fades a bit by the time the season ends. It gets back towards Midge. Um, but I thought that worked very well to kind of get the season going. And then once it got going, 
it has a very addictive pace. Uh, they move out of New York a couple of times, which helps kind of fill the time and, and, you know, set up new scenarios and uh, introduce a couple of new characters, but not too many new characters. Um, I've read some other reviews that say that there's not a, that, that the show drags a little bit. I, I don't think that it does. I think they're enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the ending especially points to why they wanted to spend so much time with Midge in this part of her career um, and in this stage of her career and doing as much as she does in her career. I also think that there isn't really an end point for Midge in terms of a career. Um, And I think that considering the tone of the show, there's not a whole lot they can do outside of Ascend. Um, And with that in mind, I think they did a pretty good job of spacing that out. And again, it's I think what a lot of people look at Maisel and get a little confounded by is the length, as you alluded to. It's an hour long, but it's still primarily a comedy. Mm-hmm. They're primarily here to tell a feel-good story. There is some, there is more depth to it, perhaps, than you know, just just a feel-good story. But um, that still seems to be their their first and foremost motivation. And because they've you know given us these these gifts of all these really. <laughs> exciting funny characters and you know Amy Sherman Palladino can still write this whip smart dialogue and you know the actors can perform it uh it's fun to sit with that and I don't feel like it's sitting it in a in a passive way I think that that examination and and spending that time as they do works for the show so um I think I'm a little higher on it than some people even though everybody seems to be pretty pretty positive Mm -hmm. uh Liz you liked it yeah tell us why I mean, I think, like, I think a lot of what you just said, like, you know, makes sense to me. Like, I think, ah, <laughs> sorry, weird noises in the office. Um, but uh, in answer, I feel like there's an interesting point you made about, uh, about kind of, like, the fact, you know, you kind of, like, people, they're, they're just enjoying their time on the show. And I think, like, for me, that makes a lot of sense just because it's a show about people just... I feel like the world of the show is so immersive in such an important way. Like, And there's a reason why it wins so many awards for production design and for costume and all that. Like, it's a, And even just like... Even just like the way in which like Amy Sherman Palladino creates her world. Like even like with the act with very specific acting choices and from the actors and very specific writing and dialogue. Like you definitely have the sense of being somewhere else. And I think that's a skill that she doesn't get enough recognition for. Like when you are watching an Amy Sherman Palladino show, you know exactly you're you are you're in her world. And that's not a talent every creator has. Um, and I think that's why, like, that sh- the show does take its time, like, really enjoying, really stretching its legs and enjoying certain elements. And we get these long montages that are just, like, people are having fun in a place. That's nice. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely a little more to it than that. But I think it is important to look at kind of the period aspect of that world and, and again, acknowledge why some viewers might be a little bit thrown by it. Because... Um, I, I feel like a good point of contrast is Mad Men. And with Mad Men, you know, they created this very, they created another, you know, very rich yeah. look back in, in time. And through that show, you know, a lot of people 
were just so happy to be there again, like the, whether it was nostalgia or whether it was just kind of the uh, cold water of the of the experience hitting you in, in the you know, various various forms of, of depicting oppression and, and political strife and social challenges and, uh, you know, all these kind of negative bad things. Uh, it also very consciously moved through time quickly. It moved through the years and used history as points to kind of elucidate why these people were changing or instigate change. Um, a lot of the, some of the best are some of the best episodes, you know, are tied to an event in history happening and how these characters react to them. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like Maisel's trying to do that at all. I feel like. Because it's it's you know set in the same you know time span looks you know just as fancy an hour long drama, very smart. Uh, it acknowledges certain things without you know digging in as fiercely as Mad Men did. Um, it wants it it wants to be in that bubble like it wants to stay in the happy times bubble and keep you there as opposed to kind of reaching out and and looking for problems to examine and uh, you know draw a ton of parallels to modern day. Um, so I, I think that. Just the setting alone can be a little bit different than what we're used to seeing, like in terms of how the story and the setting worked with each other. So, well, I think you misunderstood what I meant when I say you get drawn into Amy Sherman Palladino's world. I don't feel like it has anything to do with the period necessarily, because you know her previous two series, Bunheads and Gilmore Girls, also both feel like they feel like of the same universe. Like I'm talking about just like, and they're, they're both modern day shows. I feel like. It's just like when Amy Sherman Palladino is making a show, you are in Amy Sherman Palladino's world. And it doesn't matter whether it's 1950s New York or, you know, Southern California. Um, I don't actually know where exactly Bunheads was set. I think I think Amy Sherman Palladino has a distinct style. I think her worlds are very different from one another. Um, I think the, the, the spaces that she creates are distinguished, you know, based on whatever the the mission of the show is going to be. But, um, I mean, yeah, no, I, I totally get that when you're watching the show, you understand immediately that it's an, it's an Amy Sherman Palladino show. A lot of the dynamics between characters are similar. Um, a lot of the relationship dynamics are similar. Uh, obviously, the dialogue kind of speaks to itself. Um, the, the, the style, especially the like when you went, you know, she's directing a lot more of, of Maisel than even she did with, with uh, past series. Um, you can you can tell when she's kind of behind the camera, and, and you know, as a few of our colleagues have pointed out, you can even tell when Amy Sherman Palladino wrote an episode versus when you know her husband Daniel Palladino wrote an episode. So um, I, I completely agree with that, but I, I think that like within that context and and when referencing uh, like the period itself, like the where and when she decided to set this thing, um, it it works in a very different format than some of the other shows that we've seen set in similar times and Mm -hmm. with similar characters and even discussing similar topics. How Maisel wants to address serious social issues is much different than how Mad Men wants to address it, even though they're both prestige. Um, You mean Maisel wants to discuss social issues flat out? Because that's not one of the things that show does. Well, Maisel wants to discuss feminism and Maisel wants to discuss uh, kind of the, the, the oppression of women. Um, it does so from a very strict viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, the, the rest of them are kind of kept at arm's length. But again, like the, the this is speaking very much to Amy Sherman Palladino. This is, you know, 
her story, her character, her point of view, mm-hmm. um, you know, put through the lens of Maisel, and and you know, that's where we're going. Yeah, actually, I found uh, I saw I I didn't read this article yet, but I think Rachel Brosnahan did an interview um, recently, and she basically said that you know Midge is not a feminist yet. You're talking about her interview with David Ehrlich on IndieWire.com. Um, that could be. I don't no, think you, that was that. I, I saw the headline. I haven't. I haven't read his piece yet, actually, because I just only finished the season. Yeah. No. It's that's that's one of the things. That's, that's in great. There. That's a good thing for. That's an interesting thing for her to say because I think it's fair, mm-hmm. um, especially because you know Midge does say and do a lot of things that aren't particularly woke, if you will. Yeah, she's true to the to the time period. Yeah. I actually, uh, th- this is backtracking a little bit, but I was curious about this question, and I don't think we get, it's an issue we don't get to talk about as much as we might in a public-facing forum. Do you wish you had had the whole season before you wrote your initial review? Um, I, I always wish I had. I have more episodes, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm sitting down to evaluate. It's, it's different when... You're just talking about how much time you know you have in a day because that that, 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 you know, that can is be taxing. But in terms of you know giving a proper evaluation of of a whole, then you always want the whole. So um, so yeah, I don't I don't think my opinion changed drastically in the last five episodes. I think the first yeah no, I think they're they're like the best of it is kind of equally spread throughout the season. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's also just very clear from the onset that if you enjoyed the first season, you're going to enjoy the second. Like it, it's it's pretty, it, it, they're not diverging far from the path. Yeah, that's actually interesting too, because like, I feel like, you know, as I did read the headline for Ehrlich's review, or not review, but interviews. And then one thing he mentions is that like, they tried to basically reconstruct the show and tried to do different things, but it does still feel like in line with what they did really well in the first season. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, as long as we're speaking about, you know, when you know it's an Amy Sherman Palladino show, there's certain things that they change, but it's 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 very much about movement as well. Like they're they're repurposing certain things. They're um, you know, taking one arc and, and putting it here instead of there. They're recognizing the beats of growth that they need to track and and matching them. They're uh breaking up kind of the the straight line structure of the first season a little bit. Um, there's a few things that are rushed. Um, there's at least one character who's just like <laughs> to- totally, totally ill-defined to the point where he's just a represent, like he's just representative of something. He cannot be taken as a as a whole human being. Um, but but yeah, like they they make enough changes where you can distinguish season one from season two without. Uh, you know, without saying that this is a different show. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, another very important, actually, let me, I want to phrase this differently. I was going to ask you your answer to this question, but do you feel that, do you feel like people, like this is the kind of show where people will be team, like team, uh, oh gosh, a Joel? That's his name, right? Joel. Mm-hmm. There's like, do you feel like it's team Joel versus team Benjamin at all? No. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if that's going to emerge. I'm usually pretty bad at, at tracking that sort of thing, um, but or predicting that sort of thing, I should say. But uh, again, I, I don't, I don't think they're, I don't think they're asking you to take sides between men so much as they're just asking you to, asking you to, um, to stay behind Midge no matter what. 
uh, like like to to watch her make mistakes and to watch her succeed and to watch her be brilliant and to watch her you know fumble something um, you know to be vulnerable even uh, and you just have to keep getting behind her um, and sometimes that can be tough to tough to do instinctually uh, but I think the more time you spend with the show the the you know, more invested you become and the better character she becomes. And um, I think by the end of season two, it's very interesting to see where they're taking her and what that arc is going to be in the third season. Mm-hmm. So, Now, this is another question slash issue I had. And to the point where I like, I nearly, I, I don't know how exactly to Google this question, which is, I feel like, and, you know, I don't, not having lived in the 1950s, I feel like even today, I don't swear as much as the characters on this show do. Like, and I swear a fair amount. Not on this podcast, because I am squeaky clean on this podcast. Debatable. You're the you're the potty mouth. Sure, Liz. You are. Not that one week. Not that one. There was that one week. I wasn't the one who got us kicked off iTunes. This is what I'm saying. Debatable. <laughs> Point is, um, the thing the thing I find really fascinating, I... I about about just the, the level of swearing on Mrs. Maisel is that I'm just basically changing the subject to another thing I find interesting. Um, but I I feel like this is a show that if it weren't so full of f bombs, like would be really good family viewing. Like it's not that explicit, you know, content wise. Like there are jokes that the, you know the comedians are telling jokes definitely that wander into blue territory, but nothing egregious. Um, and you know you see naked breasts in the first episode of the season of season one, but beyond that, like it's pretty, it's pretty like fade to black. Uh, there's no violence really, and there's a lot of like fading to black when it comes to sex. And so I feel like it reminds me of when Tina Fey was talking in like the first season of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt about whether or not like being on Netflix would change the way she makes television. And the thing she said at the time was that because even though like, you know, Netflix technically means no real content restrictions, she felt it was really important to her to make sure that the show was watchable by young people, like, or like, like you know, your tween set at the very least. Um, and I feel like, and I, I, I wonder if like that was ever a conversation that was had with, you know, Amy Sherman Palladino, like, you know, if you had like, like 50% fewer swear words. And I'm not saying I don't like swearing. I'm just saying there's so much swearing on that on this show. I don't, I don't know if you felt that way. Um, not the, really. The, because the thing I felt like I wanted to Google was just like, how much did they swear in the 50s? <laughs> like, like, I don't know how to quantify that. Well, I think, I think that a lot of the swearing that takes place is usually done in the clubs. It's usually done by the stand-up. It's usually done by the people who are no, being. No, like even like within the family, though. Like you know, Tony Shalhoub said the said fuck a lot. Um, I don't remember him saying it as much as you know Susie and a lot of the comics and a lot of the people who are kind of pushed into a a certain degree of things. But I also just feel like the swearing is um, important for maintaining a sense of authenticity in that we're in a world of adults and it's um i don't know again i don't know i don't have the statistics either in terms of like how much people swore then versus now or how open they were about it within their own homes and in public and 
I do feel like there's enough of the kind of apologizing slash excuse me when, you know, they cross a line in this. Uh, I like the, the well, that's actually a little bit of a spoiler, so I won't talk about it. Um, mm. But um, I think it's I think it's important to note the differences between the protagonists in Kimmy Schmidt and, and Mrs. Maisel, too, because, you know, Kimmy is kind of a, <laughs> you know, just like a purely good, wonderful like encouraging always going to do the right thing always morally focused person like she's somebody who you know is kind of made to be inspiring and made to emulate like nobody can smile and laugh and be as happy as Kimmy is as often as Kimmy is like that just seems like kind of an impossibility um there's definitely some darker subject matter in Kimmy Schmidt as we've talked about before right uh where you know I think that with what you're saying in mind like they they consciously acknowledge it while keeping it uh, implicit enough that, you know, young viewers might be able to mic over their head or it might um, just kind of an implication might pass where they're just, you know, they take it as something lesser than we took it as. Are you saying because of the implication? That That's, God, that would be wholly inappropriate for <laughs> everyone, really. Um, but with Maisel, again, like she's, she is not that character. She's not somebody who you're meant to look toward and be like, this is an icon, this is an inspiration, this is somebody who does something right all the time. She's not traveling back in time to fix the flaws of uh, of, a, of an outdated and antiquated mindset. Uh, she's very much living in, in that world and trying to push through, and we're supposed to see that struggle and identify with that struggle um, to help better understand the perspective of everybody who came before and everybody who's still you know, um, conservative enough to be in that mindset or, or just, you know, just people who want what they want and, and follow what they want because, you know, that's what it is. Um, I don't think she's meant to be a figure that like a 12 year old looks to and says, you know, that's the person that I want to be exactly like. I don't think there's anything wrong with looking to her as, as a role model either, because she's, um, you know, there's a lot of, of great qualities about about Midge and about what she's doing and about how she tries to do it and about, you know, how honest she is and, and how she speaks to her family and, you know, who she is for her for her kids. And, and again, like the stand up, like everything about it is is very inspirational. But at the same time, I think the swears are there to almost kind of dissuade you <laughs> from thinking uh, that this is as uh, purely cheery and um and classic 50s movie-esque that uh that you may imply from from the look of it or the sheen of it so that's really interesting but i'm confused though because swearing is cool only cool people swear that's why i swear because i want to be cool i mean i same reason i smoke right right i don't smoke right i would that would kill but swearing is good kill for Kill a lot of people. I mean, it definitely definitely lets some of the, the rage out when, when it needs to. That is actually a good point. It's good. It's a good, uh, it's a good uh, purifier of the soul. Perhaps that's why it happens on Maisel. Could be. I mean, again, like the, I, I feel like at times, too, it's just a, a, like a signal of, of fighting back against that oppression, like the, the oppression of like, you have to be proper and you have to be polite and you have to do this and you have to do that. And it's like, well, fuck it. Like, I'm just gonna, you know, they're just gonna say it. And if they want to say it a lot, just to kind of reinforce the idea that that's what they're always fighting against, then, you know, go ahead and do it. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I'd be, I would certainly be interested if a study came out that was just like, listen, 
nobody said that. Like, they just, they kept to themselves. If they would have said it, like, it would have been gone. They would have um, been uh, sent out of the village, left to die in the woods. And, you know, to be fair, it, it they do start touching on things at the end of the season or toward the end of the season about what you are allowed to say on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just with Midge, but across kind of stand-up. Um, you're, you're, they, they discuss you know, the things that, are, that were too taboo for audiences back then, or at least perceived to be. So... Um, so there's again there's there's some issues they're interested in dealing with. It's just usually very specific to the perspective of this privileged white woman. So Yep. Yeah, and and yeah, I think I I honestly, I mean there's no way they're not doing a season 3, right? It might have already been picked up. I don't I yeah. mean Yeah. Ben's going to look that up. But I feel like there's I feel like this is a show where I really enjoyed season 2, but really it's like I'm it's more like I have I now like have a wish list for season three. Like I have like all these things that I'd love to see happen. That I'm not gonna talk about in case like you're like, oh no, but that doesn't happen in season two then. Like, no, Midge does not go to space in season two. So I wish that I hope that happens in season three. Uh it was renewed for a third season all the way back in May. Jeez Louise. May, May twenty eighteen. Slow your roll in Amazon, come on. Um They were probably only just beginning production on season two at that point. Um, but yeah, uh, so season three, I feel like will be really interesting on a number of levels. Uh, but like seeing, seeing what, how they advance the story, um, will be a big part of it. Like, especially like if they choose to like really push into some of these issues, like the fact that Midge has all this privilege that she rarely questions. Um, and meanwhile, in, in stark contrast to Susie, who does not have so much privilege. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I'll be. I'll. I'll be curious how they continue to address it because they, they seem to be aware of the privilege. It's just a matter of of how much they're willing to engage and what they'd sacrifice by engaging with it. Um, yeah, because so. I mean, because the thing is, like, as much as I kind of want the show to deal more with like reality, I do also kind of enjoy the fact that it lives in this little like, like bubble of a fantasy. Yeah, the the kind of escapism element of it is definitely an attraction that I feel a lot of people have. And I think that the way that Amy Sherman Pell, you know, writes in that kind of, you know, grandiose prose where it, it you know, it doesn't feel like this is, this is not how we speak in real life. There's, you but know, it wouldn't we be stutter great and, if we uh, did. and whatever. Exactly. No. And that's, and that's, you know, part of the allure that feeds into that escapism where you're just like, I'm, I'm watching this and it's entertaining and I want to preserve that. Um, that being said, you know, there's, there's been enough shows in the past, which have been, which have properly acknowledged certain things like this without sacrificing any of that entertainment. So I feel like there's a way to do it. I think the hard thing about it is when you've got an auteur who's so rooted in every aspect of this series to give up that kind of authority for another voice to come in that's going to at best mimic your voice when you're, you know, writing that dialogue and creating that stuff might, it might be tricky. Do you feel, so do you feel like, Amy Sherman Palladino herself can't do this, so she needs to bring in a new. I don't know if she can't so much as she just might not be interested. Like I don't know if that's something she wants to do. I don't. I'm sure that you know that the 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 thought has crossed her mind. Um, I I don't know. You know, I'm I'm not gonna be the one to speak for the creator. It's just it's it's so far through two seasons, all of that stuff is sitting there on the periphery, and it seems very conscious that it's there because they have you know, superficially acknowledged a lot of it, but they don't want to dig in. And, you know, if that's the choice, that's the choice. And, you know, we should appreciate Maisel for what it is. But um, if they wanted to do it, I'd be curious 
how that would go down. Yeah, Maisel definitely feels like one of those friends you have where maybe you're not always in the mood to hang out with them, but, you know, they are a good time when you do. And you kind of are like, yeah, that's just kind of the way they are. Well, yeah, I mean, I might equate it in an analogy to, like, maybe it's not the friend I turn to when I need to have a serious conversation, when I need to, like, really dig deep into the existential crises of the world and, and the, the socio- socio-political problems that are facing us all. Uh, but, you know, they're going to be really fun, and they're, they can they can listen, and they'll, they'll, like, pay attention, and it'll be a good distraction as well as a good engagement on a lot of other ideas and a lot of other issues and a lot of other experiences that I, as a man, may not be that familiar with. So they're still, you know, providing a lot of a perspective that, you know, isn't, hasn't always been out there on TV. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, it's one of those things where as critics, you know, you, when you see some shows that are like just totally perfectly well-rounded in a lot of different regards and, you know, they have the opportunity to go after something, but they don't, or they, they they have the opportunity to go after it and they do. And then you see one that kind of has the opportunity and it doesn't, it's like, well, maybe they could, could they try to, maybe that would, and then, you know. They could have tried it this year, and then it popped the bubble, and it wasn't as good of a season. And then you have to talk about, you know, the the risk reward fact. It's it's a lot. So um, I don't know. I I I think Maisel is obviously a great discussion point at the very least because it gives you a lot to talk about and a lot of different um, ideas to consider. Um, yeah. So and and again, like. If you like season one, I think you're going to like season two, and that might be all that matters. I feel like, I mean, I always like a show where it's like, you know, when I reviewed Narcos Mexico, my basic review was, hey, did you like Narcos? Well, here's Narcos again, but with different actors in it. You're going to like it because it's Narcos. It's It's got that Narcos flair. Um, and sometimes that's all you need to be able to say is just, you know, if you like one, you like the other. Yeah, and it's our, it's our duty as critics to kind of point out anything that might be um, – you know, that, that might have been missed, you know, something that, you know, drifted by during the, the process and they could be like, okay, well, yeah, well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that later. Uh, or it might be like, well, we don't care about that. We're not going to do that. Um, we're That's part of what our job is. And that's part of what a good, you know, TV viewer will do too. Like when they spot something that makes you uncomfortable or that makes you, you know, takes you out of the story in a way that doesn't feel intended, like let's figure out what that is and, and you know, whether or not it can be fixed or whether or not it's inherent to the show, all that stuff. So, um, I think a good show like Maisel allows you to have those discussions, whereas, you know, some super, more superficial, simpler material, you'd just kind of be like, well, that's just over its head, or that's just something it doesn't understand, or that's just something that would have never come into play. So, um, yeah, Maisel, season two. Watch it. It's good. Yeah, speaking of things we watched, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? Um, so last week I, I, in between a lot of other things and kind of – during some formatting um, on IndieWire, which didn't take as much concentration, I finally got to finish season two of The Deuce, um, and it, it's still one of the <laughs> it's still one of the better shows on TV. I I thought a lot about it when we were making our best of the year lists, and I, it didn't quite have anything that was like perfect for a slot. And it's no longer a new show. It wasn't quite a top ten show. Um, it didn't quite have an episode where I was like, that episode is one of the best if episodes. Me- if, you'd, if you'd brought it up as like one of your honorable mentions, I probably wouldn't fight you. And there's probably a couple of good moments from it we should consider for the moments list that we're still working on. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't a top 10 show and it wasn't right. like going to be the honorable mention that I got. Um, it, but it's, it's, you know, it's a testament to how good TV is right now and how much TV there is. 
that it would still that it's still one of the better ones. And um, I really respect the way that they're engaging with the story. I feel like they're moving through uh, their own period setting. Um, Very different New York in the Deuce and in Mrs. Maisel. Right, and and it's weird. Like I feel like they're moving very quickly. And at the same, like for a David Simon show, that feels very weird to say because they're so thorough and um, there's not like a lot of, you know, flashy time jumps or anything. It's just kind of, it just seems to be very efficiently capturing the shift in culture at that time where, you know, we we move from a place where, you know, all of this stuff is kind of out there in the open on the streets and then, you know, the the various motivations usually by men trying to again oppress women and, and take advantage of them in one way or another you know pushes them off the streets pushes them into the whorehouses pushes them uh from there into the jails like and just kind of over and over again until there's you know we've got the birth of pornography and and that becomes its own system of 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 abuse and it's it's this whole thing and, and there's like empowerment within there too especially through Maggie Chillenthal's character so like it's exciting to watch that kind of happen and that dichotomy play out um, and again it's 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 you know a beautifully told show like the the, the directing the directing is superb I don't think I've still seen something that's quite as striking as the first episode by Michelle McLaren but you know there's she set that tone and they're following through on it so um if you started the deuce and it, it faded out, if you're still watching, great. But, you know, it's it's one to, to keep track of. And it's also been renewed for a third season, which will be its final season. Um, so look for that in 2019. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the deuce. I wish I would have written a little bit more about it this year. So, um, Liz, what was the best thing you watched last week? Uh, I'm going to shout out for The Good Place, um, a show... I literally had to run home to watch last night uh, because I really couldn't wait to see the fall finale. And also I didn't have the, D- the DVR set up for it. Uh, and it was a delight. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think I, and I, our, our colleague Han wrote a really great piece uh, that you can read about, where you can read on IndieWire.com, uh, where she talks about how they filmed a lot of the epi- elements of the episode entitled Janet's. Um, because, and it's worth reading because holy crap, did they put Darcy Carden through some hoops? That's the expression? Like you mm-hmm. jump through hoops? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. They did that. They made her do that, but except with acting and a lot of other things. So yeah, it was a really cool episode, I thought. Um, and I'm actually, I, I will not say anything else because I know Ben hasn't finished watching it yet. Yeah, I didn't, uh, didn't have the DVR set up and, and missed it, so... You don't have a DVR. I don't. No, that's sad. That's yeah. why you didn't have it set up. Right. Yeah. Uh, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, the next thing I'm looking forward to is a YouTube original series, which is not something I say very often. That is um, the first time I've ever heard you say that. Uh, it's a little show called Champaign, Illinois. Oh, yeah. Um, it's got Adam Pally, who's you know, just pretty much always great, uh, Sam Richardson, and who's the third guy? Oh, shoot. Uh, Jay Farrow? My, yeah, I think it is. Jay, Jay, Farrow. Farrow, Jay Farrow is more of a guest star, I think. But yeah, he's at least he's at least that third name or whatever on the on the bill, like mm-hmm. on the on the uh, yeah. press releases. I keep getting. Yeah. Um, I don't know much about it. I know it has to do with rapping. Um, I know Champaign, Illinois, very well because it was about an hour and a half from my house. It's where my parents went to college. Um, I don't know how predominantly that. 
Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what's, going what's the cultural in. importance of Champaign, Illinois? I don't know, but I'm looking forward to finding out. Um, you know, the University of Illinois is there, so that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's a wonderful town. I really like Champaign. But um, anyway, that's what I'm looking forward to next because, I mean, especially Pally and Richardson are two... Uh, two of my favorite funny men out there. So um, I interviewed Pally at a at South by Southwest like two or three years ago, and he was really interesting. Like he like was a surprisingly thoughtful guy. Not like I was surprised he had thoughts. It was just like you know, kind of went in expecting the funny guy, and you know, got more of the contemplative guy, which was nice. I liked that. It's good to know. Yes, yeah. he's, he's definitely um, you know trying to create, write, produce some stuff uh, himself, which I is exciting. To, so I need to watch his late late show uh, clips, like because he had a couple of weird fill in moments, which apparently were like the craziest TV. It's quite strange. It's it's just it's very. It's watching a lot of process happen, which is interesting. Oh, um, I like that. So. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to next. Champagne, Illinois. I think it comes out on Wednesday on YouTube, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, Wednesdays you're listening to this, December twelfth, thirteenth, some. So Wednesday the twelfth. Wednesday the twelfth. So look for that. Maybe Liz. What's the next thing you're looking forward to? Oh uh, well, as as you listen to this, I will have watched two thirds of it already, um, because I'm leaving the office in about half an hour or so, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. Uh, to go watch the first two parts of uh, the CWDC Elseworlds crossover. And admittedly, I have fallen behind on both Arrow and The Flash, uh, but I am excited to see what they're going to do with this year's big superhero crossover event. Um, I know that it involves, I think the basic premise is, what if The Flash was actually The Arrow? And what if The Arrow was actually The Flash? So they have to wear each other's costumes. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's... I think there's more to it than that, but there's that's what I know. And also Batwoman is there, and she's played by Ruby Rose, and that's a thing. Great. Yeah, and she's a lesbian. Great. I mean, the, the CWDC shows are actually really good on LGBTQ representation, at least one or two of those letters. Um, actually, three. I think they – I don't know if they have actually a trans uh, character. But no, uh, Supergirl actually has a trans character. Never mind. They're doing great. Um, way to go, DC, CW Universe. We can forgive those producers who have maybe been bad. Um, we cannot do that. Yeah, but we can fire them, which is what happened to at least one of them. Um, sure. When I say we, I mean the CW. Um, anyways, that's a lot of rambling. I remain very fond of the DC superhero universe uh, on, C- on the CW, um, even though no show will ever touch Legends of Tomorrow, the best show on television. Um, and you will probably be able to read, you'll definitely be able to read more about Legends of Tomorrow on IndieWire.com, where you'll find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. Uh, make sure to listen to all of IndieWire's other podcasts, including the Turn It On podcast with Michael Schneider, which has a very special episode coming up with <laughs> oh, Natalie no. Morales. Right. Um, and Natalie Morales, uh, you know, of, of Grinder fame, of Parks and Recreation fame, of Room 104 fame now. Um, she talks about uh, a little show you might have heard called The Leftovers, which is very, very exciting. Um, make sure to also listen to Screen Talk podcast with Ann Thompson and Eric Cohn to get all of your uh, awards Oscar race updates because uh, they're Award season in. is on, baby. They are flying in fast and furious these days. Uh, and finally, make sure, uh, of course, to listen to the best podcast of all the podcasts, uh, Chris O'Fault's Filmmaker Toolkit podcast led by, you know, 
the best of all the people, Chris O'Fault. Ben, do you think we'll ever be as good as Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast? No. Is it just, like, impossible? Yeah. It's like trying to hit, like, the vanishing point or something? Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Set realistic goals, Liz. <laughs> I really need to learn to do that. Um, I also, but one thing I don't need to learn to do, oh, that was a terrible segue. Um, but, you know, we're going to go with it. But I don't need to know, I don't need to follow Ben on, on, ben on Twitter because I already do. But you, if you need to follow Ben on Twitter, you could do so at Ben T. Travers. And make sure to follow Liz on Twitter at Lizlet, that's with an I and then an E. Correct. We will be back next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, keep watching television. Thank you.